Welcome to the Physio Mentor Program, a program designed for physiotherapy private practice owners wanting and needing to outsource the training of graduates within their business. Our mission is to create private practices that you would have wanted to start a career in. Hi, Peter. Thanks for joining us today on the Physio Mentor Podcast. How are you? Yeah, really well. Thanks, Melissa. Thanks for the call. Thanks. And um, so whereabouts are you coming from today? I'm talking to you from Hobart. You're, you're at the top of the country and I'm down the bottom. Wonderful. Wonderful. And like I said, it's a bit chilly here, but it's probably nothing on the Tasmanian winter. So we've got yeah, nothing that's to true. About. <laughs> so um, can you start off by telling us a little bit about your story and um, where you, how you got to where you are today in your career? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I graduated in 1983. It's a long time ago. So I'm 58. Um, and I graduated in Melbourne. I grew up in Melbourne. Um, and I spent five years in Melbourne doing locums and private practice work. And then I moved to Hobart after about five years. Uh, I was chasing my own personal sporting dream of um, I'm, a, I'm a whitewater canoeist and Tassie's a, the whitewater home in the country. So I came down here to pursue that and also to work, um, but pretty quickly started my own practice um, with my, um, at the time, future-to-be wife, um, Debbie. Who's, uh, so we've been in partnership for all of our adult lives and, and just about all of it here in Hobart. So I, um, you know, I've been a, a private practice owner, small practice to start with, you know, slowly grew over the years. Um, but I, I also also really fortunate in that I ended up competing in the '92 Olympics as a as a water canoeist, and and after that uh, there was an opportunity for me to uh, then work with our national team uh, as a physio. So I ended up attending four more Olympic games as a physio, and and Beijing Olympics 2008 I was the head physio for the Australian Olympic team. So. I had this um, sort of, you know, high-level sports uh, physio career, but all the time, you know, at home uh, in a in a general private practice, you know, musculoskeletal um, private practice. Um, and look, the last ten years of my my the emphasis in my career has been sort of less on clinical treatment, my own caseload, to much more mentoring and teaching. Um, I, I love the profession, I love my job, um, and I really enjoy teaching um, and, and, you know, employing people, new grads often, um, and helping them develop the skills that, you know, make things tick in private practice. So that's that's where I'm at. Um, um, I've still got plenty in me, so I'm yeah. going to be around for a while yet, but... <laughs> that's amazing. I never, I never knew about the Olympics or anything like that. That's amazing. That's awesome. Um, yeah, no, I, I was really lucky, you know, and that that would that include the Sydney Olympics. You know, you can't nothing better than a home Olympics, and yeah. and yeah, I can talk for an hour about uh, lots of little Olympic game stories. That's awesome. I know a lot of the grads that do come out these days, they do have a dream of you know being a sports physio. That is a, a big focus of theirs. Yep. And sometimes yep. when they step into private practice. They don't get to hone in on and specialise into that field immediately because we know that you sort of have to learn a bit of everything before you can specialise. However, having said that, um, did you, for the interest of some of the graduates that may be listening, to go along that pathway, 
Did you do any sports masters or have any degrees behind you in sports before you did the Olympics or did you do the Olympics and then do some other study after that? So in the 1990s, all that time ago, um, the, the APA sports physio uh, titling process was set up um, and I, I did the level one, two, three um, and went through the experiential pathway. So I think that's just closing off like this year or next year. Mm. Um, so I think it's an appropriate name, but I think you could call it grandfathering. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I am an APA sports physio. To go to the Olympics, you have to be one. Yeah. Um, I went through the experiential pathway, which meant take the seat exams and, and, and jump through the hoops, uh, but not post-grad at uni. Okay. So if you had advice for a graduate that wants to go down that pathway now, these days, yep. what would be your yep. advice to them? Well, there's the, the sort of... Um, get your hands dirty, uh, practical things that you need to do. Um, you know, getting involved with a local team um, and and just learning uh, things like the relationship you need to have with a coach, um, how you how you sort of interact with local teams. Um, you know, the the uh, the time you put in. Um, and, and how you get paid for that, um, but just being on the sideline, particularly the football coach, they're just, you know, unfortunate for the players, but they're just great for, for seeing lots of things. Um, you know, you're in the rugby land, I'm in AFL land, but mm. they're much the same. And there's not a there's not a football club that wouldn't love to have a, a young physio helping a bit. Yeah. Um, it is very time-consuming, so you've got to love the sport you've got to really enjoy so you know if you're not a football person then don't volunteer at a or try to get some work at a local footy club um you you really do need to pick a, a field that uh, or at least a sport that you love and and then that then there's the education side you know slowly working your way through level one two three i think it's really important to be in a practice that supports your interest yeah. um and if you can uh, work with older physios who are doing what you want to do. Um, you know, like in our practice, we work with the North Hobart Footy Club. We've got a great relationship with them, but but also with a uh, huge gymnastics club. Um, but that's all, they're all relationships that have just come out of, um, you know, the physios making contact, often through clients that come into the practice, you know, and just offering or asking um know how does your club have anything and if not would you like something and then building you know and that's private practice in in action really um, mm. building relationships yeah, yeah uh, and exactly. that's, the, that's yeah. it's the beauty you know if you want to if you want to be seeing sports clients sports injury clients you really have to get out and uh, build links to the sporting community yeah you couldn't be further from the truth there. Like, it's just amazing. Uh, the networks that you need to build in order to be in that field. And I think you also have to have so much passion, like you said, to be able to, there is a lot of times where you've got to give up your weekends if you want to be in that um, area of expertise as well. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it often, you know, really for the time, um, even at a, in a high level, the, the professional sports codes and, and their physios, that's, that's, that's quite different. Um, you know, that's a, uh, that's a um, highly paid, but also, you know, if you talk to the, the AFL or ARL physios, they they live and breathe their sports team. Um, so it's a, they, they're doing huge hours. Um, 
but you do need yeah to to, to sort of try and um, find a sport that you love because you are going to be spending a lot of time on the sideline, um, you know, in your own time. And as you said, on Saturdays and Sundays. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great insight for any of those graduates that are listening because I know there's a lot of them that uh, that is their dream. So having that bit of a heads up knowledge from you will be very valuable to them. I wanted to get on to um, graduates in private practice, obviously, you've done a lot of mentoring yourself and looked after graduates in your private practice. From your point of view, Peter, do you believe our graduates are ready for private practice when they come out of university? Uh, it's a great question. Um, and I think about it a lot and I often think back, you know, to say 20 years ago. Um, look, I, I think I think some of them are. I think um, uh, quite a few aren't. Um, and so, I think that's often personality based. Mm. Um, you, if, if you're passionate about what you're learning and the field of work that you're in, and you're you've got a, a modicum of confidence, um, I, I think you'll fly. You'll be fine. Um, but if you lack either of those, you'll struggle. Mm. I think our graduates. I think that I mean they're safe, um, and they have you know good uh, basic clinical skills. Um, that the, the universities are required to train our grads across not just, you know, the musculoskeletal field, but also across other fields. So I think it is really difficult for um, unis, and as a private practitioner, I don't necessarily expect, you know, a new grad that I employ to really have um, too many uh, readiness skills. Um, I'll teach them what I do need though is someone who's who's passionate uh they want to learn they're prepared to fail because often the learning is difficult because it's often the rapport that you build is very personal and if you're failing in that space it can be very confronting um you know to to people so you do being resilient is a great attribute i don't care about skills i can teach them yeah uh, but i can't change a leopard stripes that's right. I agree. That's absolutely true. And um, it's interesting you say about the universities because, like you said, they train them in a, in a basic level of sciences across a multiple areas of our profession. But I think sometimes private practice is changing on us very rapidly as well, where now, you know, there's private practices that are dealing with aged care, NDIS, musculoskeletal, um, you know, paediatrics, they're dealing with a whole array of things. And I know in our practice uh, where we're located in a rural location, you have to be a generalist. So having all of those skills uh, clinically is actually an asset, but I yeah. feel the non-clinical skills and the resilience um, and the willingness to yeah, cop a few knocks before you get it right, um, yeah, that can be difficult. Yeah, I mean, when I'm doing my interviews, um with potential employees, you know, I'm just, I'm looking for personality attributes. I'm, I'm curious about what their personal values are. You know, do they have any initiatives? Um, are they independent? You know, will they go off and and, uh, and read some articles, you know, at home after an eight hour day? Um, yeah. Will they book into weekend courses? Um, you know, that all to me represents an attitude towards their, their, um, their profession and their own professional learning um yeah they're the things i look for i'm not really that concerned about whether they can 
accurately assess a knee or, um, you know, differentially diagnose some some curious pain, um, I can teach that. That's exactly right, yeah. It's interesting you talk about your attributes for hiring. Uh, I have a friend in North Queensland that owns a physiotherapy practice and he takes his, uh, whoever he's uh, interviewing, to the pub and takes them to lunch and then he tells them to go up to the bar and, and strike up a conversation with the first person up there and then come back and, and tell him all about it. And he hires the person that can build that rapport instantly with a stranger because he says that's essentially what they have to do in private practice, you know, every single moment. I thought that was yeah. brilliant. I thought, wow, I'd yeah. love to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's uh, a really great skill to have if you've got it. And, uh, and as you say, if you do have it, it makes consulting that much easier. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, there's lots of other you know, paths to, to, to sort of launching into, into practice, but yeah, yeah. that's a great way to do a, a job yeah. interview. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then again, next question would be, what do you focus on when you're developing a graduate in the first 12 months? What are your priorities? So I, I look at, um, the way I have the model in my head is, is that the core are the clinical skills um, and, you know, we teach them through just basic, you know, 101s and, and, and case by case. Um, but in that space, I, I'm, I'm pretty fussy with critical thinking, um, particularly uh, taking a good history. Um, I, I say to my physios that you should know the diagnosis 90% accurate by the end of a really good history. Um, before you've even looked at any objective assessment. Mm. And so I'm constantly like putting the handbrakes on a case review session and saying, well, 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 let's go back, you know, give me more information about about the, um, the condition or the problem, you know, the history, when did it occur, how long has it been, what's happened since, the behaviour of the pain, all the, all the things that we do learn at uni. Um, and usually with most conditions we see, you can narrow down, I think, um, with 90% accuracy down to one or two diagnoses. So the whole purpose of your objective assessment is then to rule in or rule out um, based on those two. Because what I don't like to see is, for example, someone who's classically presenting with um, anterior knee pain, if a physio then goes off and assesses the cruciate ligament, the medial collateral ligament, and there's absolutely no justification for doing that, I consider that to be lazy thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, if if they're you know if they're assessing the patellofemoral joint um, and they can rule in based on their assessment, um, and there's really not much else to rule out, then you know two or three objective tests and they're pretty much there, you know, probably with 98% accuracy. So um, I'm pretty fussy. They're the core, the clinical sort of skills, critical thinking skills. And then around all that, you have to wrap what I call the consulting skills. Um, And one of those is like your friend does at the pub, you know, the the quick quick sort of um, communication rapport building. But... I think language skills are really important. Um, for example, um, explaining a diagnosis in very easy, simple terms um, 
in a confident way. Um, a new grad will typically get very tongue-tied. They'll get very um, distracted by by pathoanatomic detail um, that's pretty much unnecessary and confusing, um, and it's not helpful language. Um, so, though, you know, explaining a diagnosis clearly, well, and with confidence, but then also the other thing that I am I'm often picking up is the forward planning um, of episode of care. So by physiotherapy, we're not magicians. We don't, um, we, we don't um, have our full effect in one session. It's always a course of treatment. It might be a short course of treatment, but it's always a course of treatment. And, and so the language skills that you need, the communication skills around, you know, what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, how often you're going to see someone, what you're going to do when you see them, all those things build what I call the consulting skills. Mm. Um, and then the other thing that I, I'm i really big on is um, open-ended questions. So in consulting, if, if the clinician's doing all the talking, it's not a client-centred consult. Mm. If the patient's doing all the talking... And then it is. Um, but the only way you get the patient to be taught, doing all the talking is by asking good questions. And when I say good questions, I mean open-ended questions. So, you know, for example, what are you expecting from this session today? Or what are you looking, what do you want from me? You know, what were you expecting with the physiotherapy um, was going to do for you? And uh, or what's your understanding of your problem? If a patient gives you a really good explanation of of their ankle sprain, you, you know you're you're um, you're disrespecting them by going launching into lots of pathoanatomic detail about the diagnosis. Absolutely. They've already got it. They know what's wrong with them. Um, so if you're good in that space, you can actually save a lot of time as well. Um, and that's also an important, you know. Um, skill in private practice of course um because we're often under the pump definitely and it's so good to hear you say all those things it reinforces exactly um our 12-week program what we teach our graduates so it's nice to hear it come from someone else um exactly the same thoughts which is good um but it's interesting because all of these skills obviously we as graduates probably if we're lucky enough to have a good mentor when we started we may have picked up and fast-tracked some of these skills ourselves but otherwise you sort of learn as you go along and it's a much slower longer process but you soon as you become more experienced and you've got more experience than me peter that it um you learn to say less and ask the right questions to get the right answers exactly like you're saying and you save yourself a lot of time and um you know having to get yourself in a bit of a muddle by saying too much and, and probably the wrong things at times. So yeah, language is, is absolutely key. And I think language is becoming more of a awareness in our profession about saying the right things and saying, you know, not so right things that may scare our patients. But I, I always say to our graduates that if you can explain a diagnosis in the most layman terms possible to get a patient to understand, then you clearly understand what you're talking about. The more intellectual you need to be, the bigger the words you need to be uh, using, then potentially, you know, you're not really, you don't understand it as well yourself. Yeah, 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 no, absolutely. And look, that's hard for a new grade, but, um, I, you know, in my case reviews, I'll often um, ask the physio to, to just uh, verbalise 
the description of, of this of this pathology or this injury, um, and, and yeah, we actually practice physically. You know, these, these are skills you can't often say to people. You, you can't learn to kick a football by reading a book. You have to actually go and kick a football. So, consulting skills and language skills, you've got to actually do it. You know, you have to say these things, and um, we do a lot of recording of consults. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah. So, so you know that you do learn a lot. You know, and typically. <laughs> people pick up all sorts of things like, oh, I was just so fluffy or tripping over my words or I say ah a lot or, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I think that's really good thing, good practice. You know, recording a consult, listening to it, um, everybody learns something from oh, doing that. Absolutely. It's so valuable. And, you know, especially when you may have a graduate that feels they are doing all the right things and for some reason they are having high maybe UTA or DNA rates or something's happening in the background that you're just unsure what's going on. It's it's nice to be able to listen to it and have a discussion about it. So, yeah, we think that's a really valuable tool here. And sometimes if we get the consent of our patients, we do video as well because sometimes it can be the body language or the way yep. they're putting themselves across to a patient. They're saying all the right things, but their body language is giving them away. And that can be a bit of a problem that we have to deal with as well. It's not... Not in a lot of cases, but in those minority cases, sometimes that's where we head with that too. Yeah, recently with the recordings, we, we've recognised um, there's a tendency in us as clinical scientists to, um, to, to conduct the consults almost like a, a sort of um, tick and flick and, you know, mm. we've got this process to go through and it, it can be a, a real, a really disengaging process mm. and, and, and what we've picked up is, you know, it's just saying to our, our physios, like, do you, you know, are you, do you really believe you can help this person? Because it, it just doesn't sound like you're, you're passionate about wanting to help this person. You know, you're, you're sort of going through this, like, you know, you're doing a, a thousand K service on the car, you know, mm-hmm. it's a check ticking the box and it's safe and it's all good. And, but, you know, there's no, no engage, no uh, intonation in your voice, and um, um, and I just don't get the feeling that you believe it and that you're passionate about it. And so, yeah, I think if, if that's there, a, a lot of other things will flow. 